Welcome to From the Source with Frankie and Sarah from Baker Tilly KDN. This podcast is about helping business owners and entrepreneurs understand and overcome their tax planning challenges. Join us for this journey as Frankie Loretto and Sarah Netley draw from years of expertise and guest experts to help make complex tax planning concepts make sense. Welcome to From the Source with your hosts, Frankie and Sarah. I'm Wendy McConnell. This, of course, is where you get information, the right information, right from the source. Hello, ladies. Hey, Hello, Wendy. Wendy. How's everybody doing today? We were almost perfectly on cue there. We Maybe were. it doesn't actually sound that way, but to me, it, it was. Did. It did. <laughs> we're good. We're excited. We're excited to be back. Uh, we're into our owner-manager mini-series. So this is our second episode. And uh, if you missed the first episode, definitely give that a listen. We talked about owner-manager remuneration. Oh, yeah. So today was we're fun. It was fun, wasn't it? You got to be a business owner. Yeah. <laughs> so I did. Yeah. So today we're actually going to be talking about how to exit your business. You get to retire today, Wendy. <laughs> what? <laughs> but I was selling all those shoes. Yeah. Well, you well, were so successful that you're ready to exit and wind down. All right. Let's go. Tell me how to do it. Awesome. Okay. So honestly, when you're looking at an exit strategy, we always suggest that a business owner should keep this in mind, even right from the beginning. Often we find when a business owner hasn't considered their exit strategy, they're either leaving value on the table or they haven't set themselves up in a way to minimize their tax liability. So we do have an ambitious agenda today. We want to cover four topics. So we want to start on you know, the ways in which you can exit your business, the impact that that exit strategy could have on the price you get, touch on some tax considerations, and then we'll round it out with just other non-tax and administrative considerations. All right. Well, let's get started. How does a business owner exit their business? And it's interesting because most people don't think about the exit when they're getting it started exactly. and progressing. Yeah. And I think it's honestly, it's an emotional decision. You spend all this time building up a business. And the last thing you want to do, especially when you're not ready to exit that business, is think about how you want to structure that in the future. But as Sarah said, you have to think about it even right from the beginning. Well, when you are considering how to exit your business, at the core, there's three main strategies that we're going to talk about today. The, the first being liquidation and winding up. The second, a third-party sale. And the third and final is a transition of that business to your family members. So to keep it simple, when we're talking about a transition to family, we're going to focus specifically on that owner's kids and particularly kids that have been already actively involved in the business operations. So liquidation and wind up, I would say, is the most unique of the three options. Essentially, this is when the business owner closes up shop sells off all the business assets at the best possible price they can get for each of those assets. In most cases, I would say when someone starts a business, they're not hoping to exit in this way, but it can be a reality for a lot of business owners. Typically, the goal when you're exiting a business is to maximize your cash and whether that's for retirement or for future investment opportunities. And that might not be the the maximization of cash might not be the way when you're liquidating and, and winding up. Exactly. You're, you're thinking about all those businesses you see sometimes with going out of sale business or liquidation, right? You're it's really a discount fire sale. So you're not going to get, you know, full value for for your assets. 
And so when a business owner is looking at a third-party sale kind of in contrast, they're looking to sell their whole business and have somebody continue to run that business, right? And the liquidation, no one's running your business. They want to... You're piecemealing off those assets. And so oftentimes when you're looking at a third-party sale, the purchaser is going to be potentially a competitor, might be a private equity group, could even be an employee that's been with you you know, over the years that wants to take over. Um, and so you know, the difference between the third-party sale and the liquidation is what you're selling. So in you know the third party sale you are also selling those underlying assets but you're typically not selling them at that you know liquidation price but you're also looking to get paid for goodwill value that intangible value. So you know your business might have uh, built up a good reputation, you might have developed you know intellectual property and so when you're selling it to a third party you're looking to get paid for those assets as well. Yeah, you're getting paid for your reputation, customer lists, all those other things that you typically can't sell individually. And you're typically not selling those in a liquidation, right? You're not going to have somebody come in and be like, yep, I'm going to buy your goodwill. I want to buy your name. They, They just want the physical assets. Yeah, yeah. So when you're looking at like a transition to a family member, it is more similar to the third party sale, definitely when you're comparing it to the liquidation. The key difference there, I would say, and Sarah, feel free to disagree with me on this point, is that there's significantly more non-tax considerations when you're dealing with family. So I would agree with that. Yeah, (laughs) we all know. We all know that. Yeah. Lots Um, of family dynamic. Yeah. Some of the big things you'd want to consider is, you know, I'm selling to my child. Do they genuinely want to work in this business or are they just trying to keep me happy as their parent because they know I want to continue on my legacy? Does the child have the appropriate skills or or work ethic to carry on that business successfully? Typically, if you're selling to a third party, if you get all your cash on close, you don't care what happens to the business. You know, It's gone. It's a third party. They can do what they want with it. I got paid. When it's to your child. There's a little bit more emotion invested in that. You know, is the success of your business really heavily relying on the retention of key, you know, non-family employees? So how how do these employees, if you have these key employees, get on with your child? Is there a level of respect there? Because if there's not, you transition the business, these employees leave, and then the business is in trouble. Another, I'd say the biggest is what is the perception or the impact on your other family members, you know, when you sit down at the dinner table, is there going to be underlying tension? I'm trying to think of the simplified way to put this, but really you're going to have these issues no matter what, whether if you got, you know, one child involved in the business and a couple other kids that aren't involved in the business, or you're selling to a child who's involved in the business and you have other kids that are involved in the business, but they're not, you know, going to be shareholders. It can become a uh, quite a mess if you don't think through all the potential uh, outcomes. A little sticky, right? A little sticky. Very sticky. sticky. Yeah. So lots right. of lots of non-tax considerations here. And we'll kind of circle back to that later okay. in this episode. So I get why you would get a lower price under liquidation. You're just kind of, you know, selling off everything. But why is there a difference in price under the third party sale and family transition? It's a really good question, Wendy. I think what it comes down to is really the business owner's mindset. So I think Frankie's hit on this. When you're selling to the third party, your motivation is to get, you know, as much value, get the highest price possible so that, you know, you can retire, you can, you know, share that wealth with your family, you can invest in other businesses. Whereas when you're transitioning to the next generation, 
your motivations are different. You want to make sure the business can succeed, you know, after you transition. You want to make sure typically your kids aren't financially burdened. There's a very different mindset when transitioning to the next generation versus selling to the third party that causes a difference in the price you get. Yeah, to state the obvious, the key differentiator is that the third party buyer, you know, unlike the child, they're not related to the seller. So there's no emotional disruption in that price negotiation process. You know, in this setting, the seller is going to, with 100% certainty, negotiate the highest possible price. And the buyer is going to do the opposite. They want the lowest possible price. And you're naturally going to end up somewhere in the middle. Something interesting we are seeing more and more in the you know smaller privately owned business arena or these large strategic buyers. You know, they come in and they're offering unusually high prices. We've seen instances where a typical sales a multiple is four to five times the adjusted earnings, but we might have a client that gets offered 10 to 15 times earnings. Now, I'm not saying this is guaranteed in a third-party sale, but in some industries, large companies, they're buying up smaller companies and taking advantage of their economies of scale. And they might put a higher value on your business than a smaller local competitor. And the reason for that, it could be tons of reasons, but they might just want to gain access to a new product or service line that you have, or they might want to gain access to a new geographical location, which you're situated in. Yeah. And you're not going to have those same issues, right? With dealing with your children. As I mentioned, like business owners, not always, but generally their first objective or concern when we talk to them is how do I ensure that my son or daughter is not financially burdened? They generally want to give some sort of discount because there's that emotional element of seeing the family business can continue on to the next generation. But I think really it comes down to an important distinction between fair market value and price. So in the third party context, as Frankie said, you're not related, you have competing interests, right? One party wants a high price, one party wants a low price, you negotiate in the middle. So in CRA's eyes, the price that is reached between these unrelated parties is the fair market value of the business. And that doesn't hold true when you're dealing with family members. Again, rightfully, right or wrong, CRA does not view family members as having competing interests, as having that same negotiation process. So you have to make sure, regardless of the price that mom and dad agree on, that they're still being taxed at fair market value. So that's really an important distinction, I think, too, when you're in that family space. Now, what is the CRA looking for? Why do they care more in this case than in the others? Like if I want to sell my business to my kids for a buck, why do they care? So we kind of discussed this a little bit in the last episode where you know we said you can't pay your kids an unreasonably high salary, right? To, you can't maximize the corporate deduction and then you know maximize your income splitting potential. The same holds true here where you can't sell your business to your kids for an unreasonable price and pay zero tax on it because you want to sell it for a dollar. So say you as the business owner, you're well-established, you've been operating your business for years and years, you've got tons of you know, investments personally. I don't need any more money from my business. I don't want to pay a bunch of tax right now. I just want to transition this business to my kid. Why can't I just give it to them for a dollar and, you know, and 
just be done with it. Pay no tax now. My kid gets the business. I'm happy. I don't need more money. Problem with that is CRA is the one that's getting shortchanged because they want you to sell the business at the highest possible price because that's a higher gain or a capital gain that's taxable, which they get their tax dollars on. So they have an issue with that. So the nice thing is when we get involved, we can often structure things and help set things up in a way where, you know, mom and dad can decide that they want to be paid a certain price. They're still going to unfortunately pay tax in the grand scheme of things on the fair market value, but we can structure it so that, you know, there's not that financial burden, you know, on their kids and maybe stretch out the tax liability over a period of time or a number of years. Yeah. And it all comes down to, you know, CRA comes knocking as long as you've got proof to support the price that you use, they will be happy and they will leave you alone. And one, I'll say easy way to do that is to get a business valuation done ideally by a third party business valuator. So a CBV, a chartered business valuator. With the process of liquidation, when you're just selling the assets, is it taxed differently from when you're selling the whole business like to third party or a family member? So as always, Wendy and tax, it depends. But typically, you know, in that liquidation scenario, the company is selling the assets. So there's a level of corporate tax that will be incurred, you know, to the extent your assets have, you know, you're selling them more than the book value. And then there's going to be an element of tax when you pull the cash out of your personal or out of the corporation into your personal hands. In the other two strategies, typically the seller is going to want to structure their sale as a share sale. So they want to sell the shares of the company rather than the underlying assets. And so that's where kind of the tax difference comes in. And really the motivating factor by a business owner to sell shares versus assets is their ability to access their capital gains exemption. So the current exemption limit is about $971,000. So first $971,000 is, you know, income tax free. That translates to, you know, a savings, you know, of over $250,000. So obviously a significant tax savings and so significant motivation by the the business owner to sell their shares. Now, purchaser is typically more interested in buying just the assets. They don't want the corporation. They don't want all the history that comes with the corporation. And they want to be able to depreciate the tangible assets, intangible assets, and take tax write-offs going forward. But Usually what we see at the end of the day, you know, through the negotiation process, the business owner is selling their shares. And so that's, you know, at the top of the hour, we mentioned really thinking through the exit strategy at the beginning, you know, of your life cycle. And this is kind of why you want to make sure you've understood the tax implications and the different asset versus sale and the tax savings that you might end up leaving on the table. Though this might seem like a lot of information, it's extremely still at that high level area. There's so much more that comes along with it from a tax perspective. Like even when we're talking about the capital gains exemption, that used to be something that was very difficult to access and and still have an overall tax efficient sale when you were transitioning the business to your kids. You know, that has changed. So there are opportunities now. It does involve a lot more planning and it is, you know, there's a lot more documentation involved and Another reminder why it's so important to engage your tax advisor when you're undertaking these transactions, because there's really just so much going on from a tax point of view. And then with that being said, there's tons of other non-tax considerations, which we can talk a little bit about now. (laughs) This is Um, the fun stuff. I feel like like tax is great, but I feel like the non-tax stuff is always uh, 
interesting. Yeah, nothing could be more fun than tax. Yeah, oh, yeah. please. Let's talk about <laughs> stuff that's more fun than yeah. tax. Yeah, I guess that's a really low threshold. Yeah, low bar. <laughs> yeah, low bar when we say tax is fun. Yeah, like there, well, there really is a whole bunch of non-tax and administrative items you have to think about no matter what strategy you, you know, pursue, whether it's liquidation or, you know, share sale, asset sale or transition to your kids. But with the liquidation, there's probably the least amount of non-tax involved because really you're just going out there trying to sell your assets, get as much money as you possibly can for them. And you'll be left with a a corporation with a bunch of cash in it. And then once again, a little bit more tax planning comes in. You have to decide how you want to extract that money out of the corporation and, and wind up. But I think the big one that's kind of ticking in my brain, Sarah, is that the difference between the liquidation and the third party sale is the due diligence efforts. Absolutely. When (laughs) When you're selling just your assets, you know, there's going to be less due diligence required by the purchaser. You know, if they're buying a piece of equipment, the risk to them is, oh, this equipment doesn't actually work, right? It, that It's limited there. There's less potential litigation risks or tax risks. Exactly. And so, you know, we mentioned how you're motivated as the business owner to sell your corporation. And that means all of the history in your corporation now becomes the purchaser's problem. So they want to do due diligence. So they want to make sure that they're identifying before close if there's any unforeseen risks. So that could be tax, legal, financial, environmental. And if if they do identify those risks, then they have the decision, do we kill the deal or do we try to provide some sort of legal protection to us? Um, the other reason for due diligence too is you know, the financial piece and ensuring that the purchaser has offered the appropriate purchase price. So usually when you're venturing down, you know, a third party sale, you enter a letter of intent and you provide them with financial information and they've, you know, determined what they feel comfortable paying for your business. At that point, they really don't know the quality of your financial statements, right? So they they can't verify that your revenue numbers are correct. They can't verify that, you know, you don't have any, you know, non-business expenses going through your company. And so part of the due diligence process is ensuring that they offered you an appropriate purchase price based on the financial information. And so you really do have to be prepared. Like you don't want to take it lightly and start down this third-party sale and get into the due diligence process um, if you're not serious about selling your business because they will go through everything with a fine tooth comb, you know, they will ask, why did you spend, you know, a thousand dollars four years ago on pizza? You know, if that's not in you know, the normal course of business. So as much as that sounds, you know, a little bit ridiculous, they do really dig. And it is a time consuming process for yourself, for your advisors, for the purchaser and their advisors. So you really want to make sure that it is a path you want to go down before, before you enter into a third party sale. Does pizza cost a thousand dollars where you guys are? Well, I guess maybe it depends, depends on how, how big you're. How many you buy, right? Yeah, how many, how many <laughs> buy, how much people can eat. Got it. Yeah. And I guess when you're talking in terms of due diligence work, if we're going to compare it that to a transition to a family member, you're not going to have that same amount of administrative burden because ideally that child has been involved in the business and they've had oversight with the, you know, financial statement preparation. They know what's going on day to day. They understand the risks, so they don't need to go through all the efforts to gain access to those answers. They should 
already have them. Exactly. I'll say should. 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 Yes. A keyword. <laughs> Italicized, bolded, should. <laughs> the other piece too is just how you structure your your payment, right? So you've decided, you know, agreed on a purchase price. How is it going to be paid? You know, typically under that third party sale as the seller, your objective is I want my cash on close. I want to be paid out. I don't want to have, you know, any risk. That's not always the case. There might be an earnout, for example, and that's just a portion of the purchase price that's going to get paid in the future if the business, you know, hit certain targets, you might have a vendor take back, which is essentially you as the business owner financing a portion of the purchase price. The purchaser may not have been able to get third-party financing for the entire purchase price to pay you on close. And so now they're looking at you and saying, okay, over the next like three years, we're going to pay you out, you know, this piece of the purchase price. And usually there's a level of interest to it as well. We've also seen where, you know, it's a combination of cash and then equity. So the purchaser might actually offer you an equity stake in their business. So there's a lot of different ways you can structure it. And it is different, you know, under, you know, the third party sale versus the transition to the next generation. Yeah. I think something to, to comment on too is, Anytime there's money left, I guess, on the table and it's going to be paid in future years, you are at risk as the business owner. So when you're negotiating, you're looking at, okay, I'm getting X amount on close. Here's how much I'm getting over the next future years, especially if it's an earnout payment and it's really dependent on that business performing. If the purchaser doesn't you know, execute the business or doesn't execute operations effectively, the business goes down in value or doesn't meet those targets, you've lost that money. So you really have to think in a worst case scenario, if the amount I get on close, is it, am I happy with that? And if not, it's time to go back to the table and negotiate or potentially abandon the deal. We had a client where it was, you know, a very small percent, let's just say 10% cash on close and then the rest over, you know, a three-year period. That's a lot of value. When you've built up something that has value, that's a lot of value to leave on the table and, you know, hope that the the purchaser can make good on their, uh, their promise. So very good point, Frankie. Yeah. And when we're looking at the situation where we're selling to a family member, transitioning to your child, you might have in that situation, a lot more money left on the table. It could almost be entirely a vendor take back and you receive no cash on close because your kid might not have the same access to capital as a competitor or a large purchaser. So because there's still risk involved there, usually as part of the deal, you as the owner will maintain voting control. You might not benefit from the growth, like the financially from the growth, but you will have voting control so that you can essentially maintain control of what happens with your money to ensure you do get paid at some point. Exactly. And that's a big difference than a third-party sale, right? I don't think we've really ever seen a scenario where person selling to a third party and they retain voting control. The purchaser you know, generally wants you out there. They might want you to stay on in an employment capacity to help just with transition and, and transitioning management, but you typically don't see the business owner having a voting control. But that's very common, I would say, in uh, the transition to the next generation, making sure while well, mom and dad still have you know, a significant amount of their wealth tied up in this business, they still have a say on how the business is run. So that's a big difference. Yeah. And if they're keeping you on as, say, an employee for X amount of period, they're likely going to fit in there at some point a non-compete clause in that agreement so that when it's time for you to go, you really go. 
and you don't set up a new competitor within the same geographical location and start to eat away at the business that they just purchased from you. So depends on if you're ready to retire, the non-compete might not be an issue because you're going to take your money and go to your beach house in Florida and be done working. But if you're still young and you want to take the proceeds from that sale and reinvest it in a new business, you have to be careful of those Mm non-compete clauses. Exactly. And maybe one of the last things we'll uh, touch on before we run out of time is just, you know, some of the documents that maybe we want to think about when we've done a transition to the next generation, to family members. And those documents would be, you know, looking at shareholders agreements and looking at, you know, mom and dad's wills. I think generally a business owner who is transitioning to their family might sit there and say, well, I don't need a shareholders agreement. We're family. Well, it's just as an important document in a family context as, you know, non-related, you know, shareholders, because you really, you have the family dynamic now that you're going to have to deal with on top of just the business dynamic. And so that shareholders agreement can be helpful in guiding the family through conflict and how to resolve it and you know who votes and who has you know maybe a veto power those kinds of things and then like we said usually mom and dad hold value and votes in the company until they're paid out so now they're um you know if they were to pass away what happens to those shares do they go to you know what does the will say do they go to each child you know do they all inherit the shares so do you end up with maybe sister who mom and dad transitioned the business to is now a shareholder with her other siblings who have never been involved in the business so that shareholders agreement is a really important document to say the non-active shareholders don't get a vote or they need to be bought out or whatever it looks like. And those are really, really important conversations that have to happen kind of at the transition point so that it keeps the family together, it keeps them in harmony, and it doesn't lead to you know conflict and, and sibling you know rivalry. It sounds like a great conversation for the next holiday gathering. Exactly. <laughs> yes. No. Typically, you want to sit down at your you know holiday gathering and not talk about business, right? So <laughs> you want to keep that family and business separate, which I know does not happen, and a lot gets discussed around the family dinner table. That's for sure. Yeah. I was kind of kidding, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> not really. Yeah. Bit. Yeah. All right, <laughs> ladies, that was a lot. My goodness. So, how can we get in touch? with you to find out more information. Yeah, you can find us on our website at curtis.bakertilly.ca or you can give us a call at the office at 905-579-5659. Thank you for joining us today. Please like, follow, and share from the source with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Thank you for listening to From the Source with Frankie and Sarah. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at curtis.bakertilly.ca or give us a call at 905-579-5659. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Frankie Loretto, Sarah Netley, or Baker Tilly Katie Hunt. Baker Tilly KDNLLP is a member of the Baker Tilly Canada Cooperative, which is a member of the global network of Baker Tilly International Limited. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional accounting advice. 
Always seek the advice of your chartered professional accountant or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your tax planning.